2: listening to setting the pace now here's your
1: host alex Golden, and the great kent sterling pacer nation what's going on welcome back to another episode of setting the pace joining me today at three o'clock on a sunday afternoon before the colts kick off and before we get game six of the nba finals is the one and only kent sterling kent welcome back to the show
2: Thank you for having me, as always, Alex. I am <laughs> underwhelmed by my level of excitement for these NBA finals. I, I'm not watching a lot of it, and I'm surprised by that. And I don't really know why. If you're watching, tell me why. If you're not watching, tell me why that you're not watching.
1: Well, I am watching, and I've pretty much made it a scheduled TV appointment for me to, to sit down and watch that. I, I'm telling you, one, if you didn't watch Game 5, you missed a really good game. It was a phenomenal effort from, from both Jimmy Butler and... LeBron James. It was one of those battles where two of the the top dogs on their teams are just going back, punch after punch. And then Duncan Robinson came in and played really well. I think he had 26 points last game. Kendrick Nunn had a nice little spell there in the first half. And Anthony Davis battling injury down the stretch. Dwight Howard, you know, still you know uh, liability like always. And then KCP was hitting <laughs> a lot of shots. I mean, it was it was a really fun game. So I I don't know why you're not watching it, but I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this series.
2: I'm just not going to be happy no matter who wins. Yeah. And, and I guess that that's, that's the thing. I, I don't want LeBron to win another title, his fourth with three different teams. Mm-hmm. And, and the Miami Heat just aren't likable to me. So I can't I, – I'm not wrapped up. I can find no kind of subtext that would drive my passionate intake uh, of whatever this series is. I feel ridiculous because I love the NBA, and I love the NBA Finals almost always. I've watched – Really, maybe I don't know. Maybe if you put them all together, all five games I've watched of one full game, and wow. that's it. That's it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think game one was a little bit of a uh, false hope for uh, for the Lakers to get this one done in five, which I was yeah. one that fell to that, or even even a sweep because you know Bam goes down, Goran Dragic goes down, and and then. The Lakers beat him by like twenty points that game. So it, to me, it was like, oh man, the Lakers are just going to steamroll this team. Maybe it was too good to be true. Maybe their Cinderella story kind of came to an end. But then Jimmy Butler, I mean, I tell you what, that that guy, I'm not a, I'm not a Jimmy Butler fan when I'm playing against him. But when I'm not playing against him, when my team's not playing against him, I thoroughly yeah. enjoy watching him play. And he's he's just. All dog man, and I love that about him. He's not—I mean, he's not like a, a pretty, pretty game kind of player. Like he's not someone that's real flashy, but he's just—I'm right. gonna go at you. I think he was twelve of twelve from the free throw line on on Friday night, and that's what I love about him. I mean, and he was putting the referees in tough spots down the stretch to call free throws, so or call yeah. fouls for him to get free throws. So, I—I I, I tell you what. I don't know all like uh, I don't know how every team plays and and what their X's and O's are, but watching this series, it's been really fun. And I think the Lakers, the problem with them is their role players are so inconsistent; you never know what you're going to get, and that's what's keeping Miami alive in this.
2: Well, and and hopefully this is the last NBA Finals for a while that we don't see the Pacers. I know that's insanely optimistic, but that's always <laughs> my hope.
1: Well, I agree with that. But speaking of the Pacers, now that we're three minutes into this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it, it's good to talk about the nba finals but yes your yeah former,
2: I, I hijacked you for a minute there's no
1: question it's it's okay but yeah your former producer and friend scott agnes from the Fieldhouse files mentioned on his podcast that dan burke won't we won't be back this season and he also said that if any assistant is to return it'll be bill bano he goes on to say that bill uh is a single guy and he doesn't have a lot of things tying him down. And last summer he spent a lot of time working out with Domas, and that was kind of the plan this summer or off season as well. So, what are your thoughts on all that stuff right there?
2: You know, I got to tell you the truth. Dan Burke has been with the team for so long that I'm not sure I know he's the defensive specialist. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it's going to be like without him. Uh, I don't. So it, conversely, I don't know what it was really like with him. So I don't know how this changes the dynamic. I know that you've got to allow a head coach to select his assistant coaches. And, and the Pacers, for the longest time, have kind of hired from within, hired familiarity. And because of that, uh, Dan Burke has been able to stick around and stick around and stick around. I love him. He's a, a basketball lifer. He mm-hmm. is a great t- guy to talk to. When he wanted to talk to the media, and I'd request him all the time, And when he would decide that, yeah, I'll talk to you, he was great to talk to for 10, 15 minutes at a time. Just a wonderfully passionate basketball mind and uh, always had unique ideas and and kind of unique breakdowns of people. Um, But I don't know what this is going to be like without him. Maybe it allows another coach to come in. And sort of do something a little bit different, and you know, at some level, difference good sometimes.
1: Yeah, and I mean, nothing against Dan Burke, but I—I I heard, I believe, I forget who I heard it from, but I heard that the Pacers were kind of upset a little bit with the defensive schemes, uh, not you know, not being a little bit more modernized, not changing things up, always switching ev- every, not switching everything, fighting through everything, and right. I and I feel like the Pacers might just want to change that up a little bit. Maybe they want to. Figure, figure ways out to uh, be a little bit more, you know, I guess, different on their defense. Because, like, when they played zone, it was god-awful. They didn't practice yeah. it enough. Maybe they want to get a guy, which if they do hire one of those Miami coaches, that can implement that zone. And I, and I think, you know, whoever you bring in, you have to give them that opportunity to bring in their own staff. You don't want to force them to... Oh well we've had this assistant coach for the last 20 years you got to put him on your staff if you're hired here like sorry but I if I'm the head coach I want to pick guys that I want on my staff and if you like Dan Burke, great. If you if you want to go with somebody else, it should not be something that you're attached to. And I'll be interested to see if Bill Bono stays around. That's an interesting tidbit about him. I had no idea that he was a single guy, and it now makes yeah. sense why he had those blonde frost tips at the bubble. Maybe he yeah. was trying to find someone there to uh, <laughs> to hang out with.
2: <laughs> there, you know, there are a lot of there's a lot of idle chit chat as we discussed Bill Baino, and Bill Baino was relentlessly single. We'll just put it that way. There's a lot of talk about Bill Baino and his singleness. Um, I, I agree with you about Dan Burke and the uh, the schematics. I mean, it, it just didn't make sense to be basically positionless in terms of, of size in the backcourt and to continue to fight through screens rather than switch everything. It, it never made any sense to me at all. I, I just always figured I, I was like, you know what, these guys have gotta know better than me. But if if I've got Brogdon and Lamb and and Oladipo and and Warren and kind of all of these all of these guys in the backcourt who are relatively similar in size and in athleticism, you know what? I'm gonna switch all over the place because why wouldn't you? And yet the Pacers just never did. They were resolute about not switching, mm-hmm. and I just never got it.
1: Yeah, I didn't either. And so maybe that's why they decided, hey, let's figure something else out and, and go forward. But Jay Michael came out Friday and gave us the most, you know, non-informative report. But basically, just said that Oladipo has talked with the Pacers, but didn't go into details about that. Now maybe Jay is saving that for a, a subscriber. You know, uh, article for the Star, which I don't blame him for not giving that up for free on Twitter, but um, definitely, you know, interested to see what happened there. But he also said the coaching search should go on for two to three more weeks, which is going to give us time to keep talking about this because we've talked about this for <laughs> almost two months now. So yeah, I thought, a I, so I thought about this, Ken. I said, well, with you know, with the coaching search going on, with Oladipo not possibly going to be back, we have till November eighteenth. Let's start this week power ranking. Uh, A couple things. So uh, first off, we have seven coaching candidates that we know of in this race. So I want you to power rank the seven coaching candidates from one to seven. I'll read them off to you. I kind of know who you have at the top, but I'll read them off to you. we got Chauncey Billups, Dan Craig, Mike D'Antoni, Chris Finch, Darvin Ham, Dave Yeager, and Chris Quinn. Give me your seven in order.
2: Uh, Darvin Ham, I've got as the leader in the clubhouse, but he may get snapped up by the Clippers. And, and if, he goes to, if he gets an offer from the Clippers, he's not going to wind up coming here. I know that the Clippers were interested in talking to him. The Pacers have spoken to him. Uh, Darvin Ham has a previous relationship with Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon, as the leader of the roster, I think is going to have something to say about who's hired. I think that his choice would likely, assuming that they have a great relationship, and I've heard that they have, his choice is going to be Darvin Ham. So I've got him as as the favorite but it's a a tight favorite uh but i've got him as a favorite
1: wow over chauncey yeah
2: yeah okay. i i yeah i and i don't like i get a little bit hinky about guys who haven't coached at all i don't yeah. know i don't know to what extent that kind of affects the search and and the the higher ability of guys but people who haven't done a job, you really are kinda you're just kind of guessing at whether they can do it. And mm-hmm. and you might have the belief that he can do it and you know that he's a leader and all of that stuff, but but trying to assess what kind of a coach he's gonna be in the locker room and under duress and in the last two minutes of a game, I think is is kinda d it's absolute guesswork and I don't know that the pacers are in the business of guessing this time around with the search,
1: and that's a fair—that's a fair statement. So I guess because I want to fill out your fi- uh, your final seven, so we got Darvin Ham number one, yeah. Chaunce- Chauncey number two. Who's your number three, Dan Craig?
2: Well, I no, I've got Chauncey kind of down the list. Tell you the okay, truth, I've okay. got Dan Craig number two.
1: Okay, so we got uh, Darvin Ham, D- uh, Dan yeah. Craig. Okay, sorry, Dan
2: Craig number two, and I think that Dan Craig. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's been with the Heat since two thousand three. When he was hired as a, a video intern, he's kind of risen through the the ranks. He went 40 and 10 in his one year as a head coach in the G League. They won a championship at Sioux Falls. He's thought to be a really good dude. Um, I like him. You know, you hear him with interviews that he's conducted. He's got a personality. He's kind of fun. Uh, I like the way the Heat do business. I think, you know, you, you can never tell. And and the New England Patriots are a, a great area uh, of example for this where if you've got an assistant coach who's worked for a head coach you tend to think that the the assistant coach is going to have learned so much from the head coach that they ipso facto become good head coaches. The Patriots have yet to have a really good head coach. I don't think Josh McDaniel was a train wreck in, in Denver. Matt Patricia is a train wreck in Detroit. Uh, Charlie Weiss was horrible as a head coach at Notre Dame. Romeo Cornell. Not really very good in his stop in Cleveland. He starts mm. an interim deal today. So I, I don't know. Vrabel's the only good do. one. Yeah, and, and really, to this point, you, you're not entirely sure what that is. Right, I agree right? with that. I mean, you, He's so, been
1: good, though, for his short stint. but yeah, He it's... has.
2: He, he, the, the early returns are good for mm-hmm. Mike Vrabel, for sure. Yeah. Um, but thinking that Dan Craig is going to be good because he's been with the winning organization through a couple of iterations of that, uh, of the success with the heat. I, I don't know whether that really holds water, but it seems like he's just kind of a good dude mm-hmm. and I like him and he seems like a guy who gets along with others well. And I think that that's really important in the front office with the Pacers because that front office is going nowhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So we got, Darvin Ham, number one. Dan Craig, number two. Yep. Uh, number three, who you got next?
2: I've got Jaeger. Oh, wow, got man, Jaeger our list is so different. <laughs> he, he's been a head coach. He was a successful head coach. Now, he didn't get along, according to reports, with people in Sacramento uh-huh. with that front office. But he was really good when his roster was good in Memphis, when his roster wasn't good with Sacramento he, it was still all right. They had a decent year his last year. They didn't get to the playoffs, but he was pretty good. And, and so I, I kind of like him, and watching his interviews and the way he talks uh, to the media and conducts himself, I kind of dig. So I've got Dave Yeager uh, third, and then I've got, uh, I kind of like Chris, or then there's Billups, and then Chris Finch,
1: who I like
2: because of the way he, he did things and has done things as an assistant coach with the Pelicans. yeah, You know, he took two bigs and made that work and, and really put those two bigs in a position where they could both succeed. Although different skill sets from miles Turner and Domas Sabonis. Uh, but still, I, I think from a tactical standpoint, this is a guy who's helped a roster with similar attributes so uh, I have got Finch 5th then I've got uh D'Antoni 6th and I don't know why that is I just can't rank him behind uh Chris Quinn. Yeah. Because I don't think Chris Quinn has a uh, has a chance at the thing. I, I mean if you're if you're going to hire an assistant from the heat you're going to hire Dan Craig. It's not Quinn's, uh it, it's not Chris Quinn's time yet. And, yeah. and so I would kind of dismiss him as as a potential finalist.
1: Yeah, see, when I I put this out on Twitter three days ago and I was kind of just brainstorming because really it's like I don't know a whole lot about a lot of these assistants. So that's why I put Chauncey one. I don't know why. I'm just really enticed by him. Yeah. Uh, Me and you both have Dan Craig number two. Um, This is where I flip-flop with you kind of. Not really. You had had Dan Tony six. I have Dan Tony third above some of these other guys just because I feel like after we had a guy come on from locked on rockets, uh, last week, and I talked with him for about 45 minutes and what he basically said, which I think you're going to like is he said, when they have a center that, that runs in the D'Antoni system, he never shoots threes. And if they're going to keep some bonus, I thought that might make you really happy. Uh, he said oh, it's a lot of pick and roll and a lot of rim, a lot of rim running and a lot of, you know allowing that that big guy if he catches it to to facilitate, and I feel like that could benefit Sabonis bonus a little bit, so that's why I'm enticed by that at number three and then four, I said Chris Finch he's really catapulted up my up my board quite a bit. Chris Quinn I had yeah. at five darvinham i I don't know why I'm just not sure what he is as a coach, and I thought it was weird that the clippers. Uh, came out yesterday after interviewing him and Ty Lue, and then they were like really high on Mike Brown I'm like that's the last person I want so that sounds like right. a Clippers move and then at seven I had Dave Yeager just because I have some concerns with him with getting along with players and getting along with the front office I just don't know if I would trust that even though I think he does have some really nice uh you know different things he brings to the table as a coach it's
2: it's going to be so interesting to see what's valued And the reason one of the reasons that I take Billups and Tony down the list a little bit is i think it's going to be really difficult unless pritchard is so sold on one of those guys that he thinks it's worth putting his reputation on the line with herb simon and with steve simon to say you know what we've got to pay this guy six million dollars a year instead of paying dan craig you know a million for a year those guys they're they're cost conscious and I think it's very easy to make the alternate argument that, you know, what head coaches really aren't that meaningful yeah. in, in the NBA, and to spend five million dollars of the Simon's money to gain wins with D'Antoni or, or with Billups instead of Craig or or instead of Darvin Ham or Finch, um, you know, I, I think that that man you you, you want to get you want to get an owner really angry about stuff, stump for spending a whole ton of money and then don't have it pay dividends. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah I like got you. if you because there's like you get it you get what you do with the, with a roster you're not going to spend into the luxury tax and and that's the way it is with the pacers so you know what the parameters there are but with a coach, that's an entirely different deal. you, you can sell to the fans what you're doing without paying a coach a hell of a lot of money. And, and so, uh, you know, if if you're Kevin Pritchard and you're going to spend $5 million of the Simon's money to go get one of these guys instead of one of those guys, you had better have that manifest itself on the court or they're going to ask really unpleasant questions. Mm-hmm. And, and you could – this could wind up being your last coach hire.
1: Yeah, that's that's a – Tough position for K.P. and yeah. I, I wish him the best because I like him a lot. But uh, last thing here, Kent, for this segment, I want to power rank the top five places you think Victor Oladipo plays next season. So most likely to least likely, uh, your top five. Uh, as, and that's that's including trade destinations, obviously.
2: I'm gonna say here. Uh, I'm gonna say first because Indiana. I think you know okay. possessions nine tenths of the lot. And and so, you know, more often than not, the the setting today is going to be the setting tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's most. Plus, I don't think that his value is tremendous coming off what happened in the bubble. I I just don't see uh, unless you've got a team that's just in love with what he was and and can be convinced that he's going to be that again. I, I don't see anybody ponying up a lot of meaningful assets to. Uh, to lure the Pacers into a deal where they would send Oladipo out. I, I think that one of the places where that could happen, so I'm going to say this is my number two, uh, I'm going to say is the New York Knicks. Okay. Um, the Knicks seem to make mistakes like this. They've got the draft equity, I think, that the Pacers kind of covet, and, and they might think that they're in, they're in a better position with with Oladipo than what they could get with that draft equity, so I think that that's that's maybe a destination where uh, where Victor could kind of settle in and and feel pretty good, mm-hmm. and and have the Pacers get what they want. After that, I I think it's I think it's a complete crapshoot where he could wind <laughs> up going. You yeah. know, I just don't see. I mean, you know, who's got who's got the assets like I said, that the Pacers covet, plus a need for what Oladipo brings. I, I, I just, I don't know what that is. Vic says that he wants hardware. Well, where are you going to get hardware? You're going to go, you know, the Lakers are going to be the team. That until LeBron finally shows signs of, of age, that's the only place, I think, where you can feel really good. Or Golden State. Yeah, I, I guess he could wind up with gold, the Golden State, but I think if it's not the Knicks, I think it's going to be somebody out West.
1: Yeah, well, I kind of agree with that. I actually only have one West team on here, and it's hard for me to really determine because I was, I've been talking to people, and one of my buddies actually said that he thinks that after this season, Victor's playing in either Brooklyn with, with Kyrie and Durant, or he's playing with Miami, and I can kind of see that. Yeah. But there, but there is a there's another team that I think that could be really high on this list that, at number one, and that's Dallas to me. Uh, one of the attractive things about Oladipo is he's on an expiring contract, and I'll just tell you this: if he has a good year with Dallas, and then for some reason Giannis decides to leave Milwaukee, and and he's like, "Hey, I'm going to go play with Luca, Victor, and Kristaps," that could be a really interesting team, and a real headache for the West. So, I I mean, that's kind of where I see that because I think Dallas wants to kind of get off some money to, to free up some space. Now, I'm not sure exactly how that would work, but I think Dallas is a really enticing team. Uh, New York, for me, is number two as well. I think they're a team that, you know, is just desperate for somebody. And then I had the Pacers third just because I just I'm not sure what Victor's value is right now. It's really hard to tell. And then four and five, I had Miami and Boston. I don't think we're going to be able to get anything uh, from Brooklyn for just Victor. And I don't really know if they want to take on Miles' contract as well with them already committing basically to playing DeAndre Jordan at the five. And then whatever they do with their other young stars, I feel like they could probably get more in return than Victor. So, you know, Miami, if you're willing to take back like a like a Kelly O'Linick and something else, like it's not going to be pretty. And then Boston, of course, if they went after the Gordon Hayward deal, which I don't know if they'll do that for both Victor and Miles. So a lot of moving pieces here, but those are my five.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting deal. Although I would hate to do a deal with Boston Yeah. because I think that Danny Inge is pretty smart. He's made a bunch of very shrewd moves. I don't like doing deals with shrewd guys. Miami, I know that people say Miami because Vic's got the house down there. He loves it down there. But I don't think that that's going to have anything to do with what Kevin Pritchard does. Like they're not going to, they're not going to try to accommodate Victor Oladipo's wishes as to where he's going to go. Um, and and I think if anybody, if any team in the NBA knows that Victor Oladipo's value, at, at least right now on the court, is minimal. I think it's the team that beat his ass in the playoffs. You know, I think it's the Miami Heat. They're they're pretty sure what his value was to them in that first round. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dallas is interesting because the the thing like the thing that we understand and that we look for is like an affinity, Mm -hmm. right? So you've got an owner in Mark Cuban, who's an Indiana graduate, loves Indiana basketball. But in, and so that's kind of an easy sort of thing for us to see and, and value. And so often those things are, are, are not accurate. That, that's not the way these guys do business. But it is the way that Cuban does business. So it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him, to see him get really enthusiastic about Victor Oladipo in, in a way that, you know, you, you wind up, it, maybe he, in his own mind, could justify making that kind of deal with uh, with the Pacers, where maybe he overspends a little bit mm-hmm. on Oladipo, and I think that that could happen. I think that's a that's a legit take on, uh, on on a guy, an IU grad, actually doing an IU thing.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even sure if it's even got to do with IU. In my opinion, I mean, they've got an expiring contract in Tim Hardaway Jr., who I think would be a pretty nice piece here. Not saying as a starter, possibly, but maybe off the bench. I mean, I don't really know. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is a pretty good basketball player. Not great, but he's he's a solid guy. And they have other guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Seth Curry, Maxi Kleba, uh, Dwight Palming. They have pieces that could be enticing to the Pacers because we know the Pacers will not tank. And they will continue to try and right. win games as much as possible. But, Kent, let's go ahead and wrap this segment up. But when we return, we will answer the question everyone has been asking did Doug McDermott really develop his off-ball movement and balance by becoming a male ballerina? Well, Greg McDermott, (laughs) Doug's father and coach, joins us next to answer that question. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we're back. And joining us on the line right now is Kent Sterling, not Greg McDermott. And we're going to talk five questions, uh, just some random Pacers talk, uh, nothing in particular, but... Just a random uh, five random Pacers question. So, Kent, first question, what style of offense would you like to see the Pacers play this upcoming season?
2: I would like to see them do what the Heat do.
1: Okay. What
2: the Heat do is really interesting to me, and, and and I think it converts to what the Pacers have got because the Pacers are built in a similar way. I mean, you, you to win in the NBA, you got to have one of two things. You've got to have the best player or best two players on the floor and or you've got to have five people who really play well together and are very, very selfless and understand that winning basketball is about the other four guys on the floor, and I think that the Heat do that. Mm-hmm. The uh, The chances of the Pacers having night after night after night the best player on the floor the best two players on the floor almost inconceivable at this point. So I think that they've got to go to a, a, a kind of a um, – a harmonious offensive, share the ball, hit the open guy, pick and roll, pick and pop, get it to the corner, and knock down threes. Uh, I don't want to see analytics ball like D'Antoni coaches. Uh, I want to see fluid movement, uh, and I want to see five guys who are all committed to putting the ball in the bucket and really don't care one way or another who gets to do it.
1: Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. And I mean, with D'Antoni, I understand people are freaking out. Like, if we hire him, like, oh, we're going to completely just shoot threes, and that's all we're going to do. It's like I really hope that if they do hire him, that's not the case because I don't think shooting threes, and I said this yesterday, and I it's like shooting threes has become a lot overblown uh, in, in today's NBA. It's it's one thing where, where you're opening, you shoot a three, I like it, but I don't know how many times I've seen Luka and James Harden specifically get to the basket and they'll kick it out to a guy in the corner for three instead of taking yeah. a wide open layup, and I hate, absolutely hate, that people act like mid-range jumpers are a bad thing. It's like, look, if a guy can hit an 18-footer at 50-some percent, I would rather him take that than try to force him to shoot 34 percent from three, even though you might get more points. Uh, you're not getting yourself in a right rhythm, and, it, and it's I, it's good for spacing. I completely understand that, but I think that you have to be able to share the ball. I mean – not not necessarily a complete Spurs style of play, but I really like what the Spurs were when they still had Duncan and Danny Green and Tony Parker and Ginobili. Like, you know, they have Hall of Famers on that team. There's no doubt about it, but they were sharing the ball so well. And I mean, even, when this, even though when Kawhi was really their, their best player at this point in his career, it was somebody else on a different night. And I don't want it to just be predictable where it's like, oh, Domas is going to be the one that does all the scoring tonight. I want right. to see where Domas can be consistent but, hey, T.J. Warren can go put up 30 points a couple of nights, a, 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 you know, a couple games every other week. Same with Malcolm. And then, and then, like you said, with that Miami team, if they could find somebody to be that Drogage type of player on their roster, who is a free agent yeah. next year, by the way, um, if they could go find someone like Drogic, I, I think that would be so beneficial. They just need to get guys that are better shot creators, in my opinion, and be a little more versatile.
2: You know, and this kind of brings up one thing that I'd really like to see the NBA do, and I know they're not going to do it because it would cost owners money, and and that is widen the floor. You know, mm. I, I want it to be 23-9 the whole way around. Corner threes, I'm tired of watching guys shoot corner threes. It's not exciting. It's not beautiful. It's not fun. It's none of the things that the NBA has got to be in order for people to watch in bulk. Mm-hmm. And, and so if they could widen the floor three feet, I uh, I think you, you kind of make the, this corner three business sort of moot and, and you would, you would then, uh, kind of heighten the need to be a good mid range shooter yeah. and somebody who can go get buckets in a, a variety of ways. And I think that that's, that's where basketball's at its best. And so, um, I think widening the floor would be a, a cool thing for the NBA to do. But I know it's a pipe dream because y- you would eliminate the, some of the most expensive seats in the house. And owners are I mean, they're not going to they're not going to stand for that. Adam Silver, <laughs> he'd be <laughs> booed off the stage if he goes to an owner's meeting and says, here's what we're going to do, boys. You know we're gonna widen the floor by four feet and eliminate the front row. It, <laughs> he ain't gonna dig that. You know owners are gonna, you know they're gonna put him on a uh, pitchfork and and carry him out of the uh, out of the conference room and and throw him in a dumpster. And and nobody wants that to happen.
1: Right, and I mean I've even heard some people suggest like just have the three point line like run to the out of bounds line where there is no corner three. So just kind of like the arch. So that would be yeah. interesting. I don't really know if I like that either. It's it's just a weird thing. It's just like I like seeing three point shots when they go in and I like when teams take them when they're open and, and when they're good shots, but I absolutely hate them when it's all people shoot. Like imagine like yeah, it thought Reggie have
2: to do it's terrible.
1: Yeah, and I mean what drives me crazy too, it's like I know you said you didn't watch much of the finals, but there's two things I want to bring up here. Number one, uh Duncan Robinson was in the corner, Anthony Davis contested it in the first half and Duncan like falls in front of his bench after he misses the shot, and the whole Miami team gets up in a you know in an uproar. They think he just got completely fouled. Anthony Davis, when they go back and watch the replay, didn't even touch the guy. So we have yeah. way too many guys, especially the Heat. They do it a lot. They're almost coached to do it, I think. They flop or they try to jump into the defender when they're shooting their threes to go to the free throw line, which that just makes zero sense to me. And then I look at a guy like Anthony Davis and this is a guy that's you know a kind of a do-it-all player. He he can shoot the three, he can post up, he's got the mid-range. He's just a really good basketball player. But in some of his post-ups, one thing I noticed it was when they were trying to throw him the ball, if it didn't go directly to him, he wouldn't leave his spot and go get the ball. And I feel like because he's been such you know, a hybrid big that's not really been asked to post up a lot in his career and, and do more so, like, on the mid-range and on the outside. You know, it's kind of eliminated him having a great back to the basket game where I still think he's decent at it, but I, I've noticed it a lot in this finals. Like, I think it was Game 3 when the Heat won. The Lakers had, like, 10 turnovers in the first half, and a lot of them, there were some bad passes, I understand that, but there were some where he could have fought for him and left his spot to get them, and he just kind of, like didn't, you know, leave a spot to go get him. So I think there's two things there that could really benefit from just, you know, not shooting as many threes and, and getting guys in different positions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I And I'm a fan of that. Uh, Davis is a guy, when he grew up in Chicago, he was 6'2", I think, into his junior year of high school. Yeah. So he was a guard, and then he shot up. And so he's got guard skills because that's what he learned when he was a kid. And, and he's never developed the low post game. At the level that maybe a kid who was, you know, five, six in the fourth grade would, mm-hmm. because he would have spent a lot of time down on the block and that's where he would have been coached. So you, you've got a guy like, you don't find guys who are great at everything, and that's kind of the hole in his resume for sure.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I didn't mean to do this, but my question, too, kind of piggybacks off number one. So if it's the same answer, I apologize, and we can talk about it a little bit more. And I said, is there a team in the NBA you believe the Pacers could model themselves after? And I think you kind of said it with Miami for the offense, but their defense is pretty yeah. good, too.
2: <laughs> well, and it's got to be, right? I mean, you got to have five guys connected. If you don't have LeBron Jameson, you want to win a championship you've got to have five guys who are connected on both ends and, and the heat do, you know, they the Pacers aren't going to be able to go put together a roster like, uh, like the Warriors mm-hmm. or obviously, like I said, the Lakers or the Rockets. Um, they've got to figure out a way to cobble it together with all five guys being foundational pieces. And, and so I think that the heat are, are kind of that team. I, although, you know what? We, we got to be careful because this was kind of an odd an odd season in particular the last eight games of the regular season and the postseason, where where the bubbles concerned you know this this could have been an entirely anomalous uh, outcome where the the heat found a way in the bubble in a way that they wouldn't have been able to find otherwise. I don't know whether that's true or whether that's false um you know but you've got to be I think you've got to be careful modeling your franchise, after a team that has achieved a lot of success in this in this bizarre mm-hmm. circumstance, mm-hmm. but given that that's a valid way to look at it, you know I think that the Heat are definitively sort of that what the the Pacers at their best could possibly be.
1: Yeah, there's a couple teams that I look at that I would like to see the Pacers maybe kind of model their team after. First and foremost, I, I think Toronto is a team that's really interesting and and they've played right. double bigs they've also played just one big and they don't really use their big the same way that Sabonis is used but they do use Pascal Siakam quite a bit uh and and in, in kind of a playmaking role as well as of course going through Kyle Lowry who's been a really fantastic player for him and then when you look at you know teams that have that big that they run the offense through a lot like the Pacers do it, it always directs me back to Denver
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say.
1: Yeah, with with Jokic, and then you go out there, and Jeremy Grant is a free agent this year, and I'm sure he's going to demand a lot of money, but if there's a way the Pacers could get him, I would love if they could get their hands on Jeremy Grant, and that's not just recency bias with what he did with Denver. I think Jeremy Grant's been good for a couple years now. But he's not like a star, but he's a really good role player, and I think he'd be a nice fit with this team, just because of his ability to, you know, play defense at a high level. And I think they could use another really, sh- you know, strong defender. Uh, so that's the other one. And of course, Miami. And you, you brought up a great point talking about this bubble season is kind of weird. The postseason is different, and I hate to say this because it sounds like you're being a hater, which I'm not trying to be. But it's like, do we really think that Miami goes in there and beats the Bucks four to one if they're playing, you know? F- three of those five games at Milwaukee. uh, I mean, I think it could be a little bit closer. Same with Boston losing game seven. That'd been on the road or for Miami. They would have been at Boston. You know, Boston was up like what? 15 points in the fourth quarter before Miami had this huge run. Like, does that happen? You know, with fans in the stands, like probably not, but who knows? But it's like, I don't want to discredit them. Same with Denver. Like they probably don't come back three, one against the Clippers. If they're, you know, playing in LA two of those three games, it's like, it's the bubble. So you just got to embrace it for what it is. But you make a great point. You don't want to just model your team after a bubble your team. Like we, we've seen it several times. Like teams always model the champion, like the Warriors. You're like, right. oh, I got to get some players that play like that. And a new style of basketball. But I think Miami is just a really unique team, really well coached. And what I've loved about them is just their ability for the next man to step up when when Atabayo was out, I thought Myers, Leonard, and Kelly Olynyk together played really well in his stead. Kendrick Nunn has played really you know pretty solid without Goran Dragic. Now they're not the same level, but these guys are still you know providing a, a positive, and they're not so miserably bad that Eric Spoelstra cannot put them in the game and and trust them. And you know the other thing with. Miami, before I let you give me a response to this, is they're just, uh, besides Jimmy Butler and their veterans, they got a lot of young guys uh, contributing to their success, and the trust that he's put in Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, and Bam Adebayo for these big moments is just spectacular, and I would love to see the Pacers do that.
2: You know, and we give Pat Riley a whole lot of credit with Miami for sort of unearthing Duncan Robinson, and and Hero was just inside the lottery at thirteen. Uh, you know, we look at that team and say, look at what they've gotten out of these guys. It's unbelievable how smart they are. But you know what? They There's some good fortune there as well. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not like in Miami, I believe they had a second round pick that they could have used on Duncan Robinson, but they didn't. And I don't think that they had any idea that Duncan Robinson was going to be as important as Duncan Robinson is. Uh, I, I think that they've had good fortune, and and I really think that the Pacers have kind of had bad fortune, and and have had a tough time developing uh, guys, and that's one of the knocks on Nate, and and I don't blame Nate for that. You know, Nate's job is to win games, not make money for these guys three and four years down the road after they're drafted. So, you know, this isn't this isn't a high school program where you're you're trying to get sophomores to be good juniors, or a college program where you're trying to. You know, maybe build an all-American in three years. You're trying to win tonight, and right. that's his job. And uh, so, you know, I, I, but that said, they've got to be able to develop guys. You, you can't continue to waste first-round draft picks on guys who who really don't project toward being solid contributors to a championship-level team. Because what are you doing? I remember right er, reading a book called The Scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, uh, by a guy named Jim Russo. Uh, he was a scout for the St. Louis Browns and uh, the Baltimore Orioles. And it was co-written by Bob Hamill, who was a sports writer still down in uh, down in Bloomington. And what he said that the Baltimore Orioles in the 60s changed when the GM came in and said, look, I don't want any more roster filler guys. If you see guys and you think we can win a championship with them, sign them. If you don't think we can win a championship with them, ignore them. We're not filling rosters. We're building a champion. And and I would question whether Kevin Pritchard is looking at basketball in that way, given the people that he's brought in. Like, And God bless the guy, but Alizade Johnson is not going to contribute. And I know he was drafted, what, 50th or whatever. But mm-hmm. he's not going to contribute to a championship team. Uh, uh, Leaf is not going to contribute to a champion. Aaron Holiday, maybe there's a sliver of hope that he could. Goga Batadza, I think that's more interesting. I think maybe he could be a championship-level player, so taking him at 18, I'm all in. But you can't just take a guy because he's the best player available. You've got to see a window of hope that this guy with a first-round pick or a second-round pick is going to be a contributor to a championship team or to hell with him. If you're just going to get a guy the hell with it don't don't swap the deal or sell the pick get out
1: you know don't waste a roster spot on somebody that's just going to be there for four years and let them go which which they've done quite a bit and you know i mean going back to Ikeani bogu you got alizé johnson probably not going to be re-signed to jay leaf probably won't be here after this coming year and really i mean edmund sumner is probably going to make it but Pretty much, it's just like these guys that you go out and get. You talk about Joe Young, someone they let go, uh, and he's in China now. I mean, just guys that can compete. And I think that's one thing, if you look at Toronto, how they've drafted, I've been impressed. I mean, they've had late picks. They've been in the 20s. They've always been in the playoffs, and they always get contributors. OG and Anobi. Uh, I think it is yeah. uh, uh, it was a Davis this year, their shooting guard that played pretty well. Terrence Davis, I believe his name was. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. And then, of course, Pascal Siakam was drafted there. Those are two starters that were drafted in the late 20s. So you make a great point there. And that kind of brings me to my next question, Kent, question number three. What is the best way for the Pacers to as- acquire a star-level player to lead this team? Well, the only
2: way you're going to do it is via the draft. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, free agents, at least historically, they don't come, right? You mm-hmm. uh, could do a trade. trade. I mean, maybe, maybe somebody's idiotic enough to deal a guy, you know, deal an expiring contract of a guy who is a top 10 player somehow. But if, if the Pacers had to make that deal, the amount of money they'd have to, they'd have to give up in terms of contracts in order to get that guy, you know, that doesn't make any sense. So I I think it's a draft and I think they got to be really smart about it. And, and hopefully, you know, uh, Ryan Carr's is a guy who looks at it and looks at the draft a couple of years out and says, you know what? I think the top five in 23 are going to be unbelievable. Let's go about the business of trying to acquire something that we project to be a top five pick. And that's tough because of the lottery. You know, it's a, it's a crapshoot every single year where you're going to be able to draft. And we don't know from one year to the next, who's going to suck, you know? And, <laughs> and so it's, it, it's a, I, I, you just got to get lucky. Yeah, you know,
1: and well, so. I think that's why Golden State's an interesting team because we know that Golden State is like, you know, a championship level team when fully healthy. Now, some people might say they're getting older, coming off serious injuries. You can't, you can't trust them. But I think with the extended time from the pandemic, they've got pretty much a year and a half to recover all these injuries. So, personally, for me, like I look at a guy like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, like this is a solid team. And now they have the number two pick in this year's draft, and this year's draft is considerably weak compared to many others. And so it's like, look, if the Pacers can get the number two pick in the draft for a milestone level of player because Golden State believes, hey, Turner helps us more than this number two pick will because we're in championship window now. I think you got to pounce on something like that, and I agree. The draft, trading up for a pick because they're not going to tank, so one, you either have to trade up in the draft and get that guy or hope that a guy falls to you late that maybe has injury concerns, maybe he's been in the league a little bit longer, maybe it's 2021 when these high school prospects are supposed to be able to come into the draft. That might be the the year that you decide, hey, we're going to be lucky enough here to to have somebody fall to us. So, I mean, it's it's all kind of, like you said, a crapshoot in – I look at a guy like Jermaine O'Neal, who was acquired from by the Pacers for for a veteran, in in Dale Davis. Right, we we didn't know Jermaine was going to be a top five player or an MVP candidate. You know, four or five years down the road from, you know, when they acquired him because he couldn't get off the bench in Portland. Maybe there's a guy like that out there in the league that is just stuck behind some really good players, and maybe they could find that next Jermaine in that sense.
2: Right. Right, and, and that's what you've got to do, and and you've got to get lucky. I mean, Siakam was taken, what, 27th, 26th or 27th? You know, Ananobi was in the 20s, and, you know, and Ananobi, and nobody, nobody knew whether that knee was going to be right or whether it was going to be wrong. The Raptors, they took a shot. He he had all the measurables that would lead you to believe that healthy, he's going to be able to be a contributing Uh, guy to a championship level team and lo and behold he was and 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 that's the key is is to keep finding guys who you feel are going to be contributing you know members of a championship team and and i don't think that kevin has done that in the draft at a very high level and, and I don't know who's responsible for that, but you've got to change it or you're never going to get over the hump.
1: Yeah, that's the problem with the Pacers. I mean, we we like the pieces here, but we've talked about it from episode to episode. They yeah. got to get that guy, they got to get that number one star. I mean, I put a poll out last or this past week on Twitter said, What position do you want the Pacers to uh, acquire in the offseason? And yep. the, the thing that I saw the most was an athletic. Or a versatile wing, so that's what I'm most interested about, but I want to continue answering these questions, but first, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll share with you a behind-the-scenes story of how Goga Batadze lived with our very own Kent Sterling for close to a month when he first came here from Georgia, and how Kent is now helping Goga (laughs) obtain his Indiana driver's license. We'll be back. All right, Kent, so you want to go ahead and tell us about that living with Goga experience?
2: Well, you know, Goga, uh, I thought, uh, like, I enjoy uh, men with Southern accents, <laughs> and I thought he was coming from, like, Albany, Georgia, or Macon, Georgia. I didn't have any idea that he was from the war-torn Republic of Georgia, and, <laughs> and so there were, there were some cross-communications between, uh, between my wife and I, and then the adoption service, uh, that we utilize to to bring Goga into our home, but yeah, yeah not a good driver. We've got him out in back. Uh, he comes over three times a week, and he drives a golf cart in our our backyard. And then we've got him on the riding lawnmower, trying to get him to to figure out. You know, you spin the wheel one way to go right, and then to the left to turn left. Yeah. He gets across crossways, and and so we're trying to. Uh, but there's no there's no turn signal on the riding lawnmower so that 's something we 're going to have to fabricate and uh, and help him uh, help him through that
1: well that 's good I, I hope that he gets it before the new season starts twenty twenty has not been a great year, so hopefully twenty twenty one is a lot better for for Goga and his driving skills and his uptick and and, uh, and, and just being a all around well seasoned <laughs> Indiana boy but uh getting back to these questions here, assuming Oladipo and Turner are the most likely to be traded. And both Sabonis and Brogdon, maybe Warren, are the most untouchable guys. Who or what are the, the Pacers' most intriguing assets that could be dealt in a trade outside of Oladipo and Turner?
2: I think Aaron Holiday. Yeah. Right. Aaron's young, and, and he's shown flashes. He's a pretty good shooter. He, he is a tough-minded guy. I can see him still in his rookie contract. I can see him uh, garnering interest, uh, elsewhere. But other than that, I, I is there, I mean, Lamb has no value whatsoever. Um, you know, cause nobody's sure at what level he's going to be healthy moving forward. Um, leaf has zero. I mean, the guys, the guys past the nine in the rotation and yeah. most of whom we've already dis- discussed the guys outside of that, I don't think have any value at all. I mean, people aren't going to, I, I don't think that there are five general managers in the NBA who know how to uh, pronounce uh, L.A. Johnson's name.
1: Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hey, can I – hey, Kevin, you want to give up that allies? Allies look good to me. He's uh, – what a rebounder. <laughs> Yeah. So no, I don't yeah. think so.
1: <laughs> who uh, who were you mimicking in there? Was that uh who who was that? Danny Ainge.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's Danny Ainge. Danny okay. Ainge. He he spent some time down in uh down in uh, uh Kentucky. You know, a lot of people don't know Danny Ainge was from uh, Murray, Kentucky, and so yeah, that was Danny Ainge.
1: All right. Well, I mean, yeah. I agree with Aaron <laughs> Holiday. I I, I, I think Goga could be an intriguing piece. Nineteen years old he's got you know the the skill sets of what you would want in a modern big man able to shoot the three able to block shots now he's just got to get some more practice in he's got to get some more development in and you know a lot of people are like talking about Grant Williams and Brandon Clark and all these guys that were drafted after Goga but one thing I will say is those guys have two or three years on Goga and college experience and with the age, I think that they were also given a lot larger opportunities this year.
3: That helped him yeah.
1: develop overall, and I think Goga just not being able to find his niche in the rotation really hurt him, so I think that maybe after this season, if he 's given a you know constant spot in the rotation, you know he he might be somebody that could be intriguing. I think draft picks are going to be intriguing as well, especially when, when we just talked about it in the last segment. you know these draft picks for twenty twenty one could be really enticing if this is you know, the year that you're supposed to have high school players in it, if it gets pushed back to 2022, then that's enticing as well. So, I mean, that's to me, that's to me is probably the most intriguing, uh, you know, candidates. I mean, TJ Warren's obviously really interesting, but I kind of view him in the same realm of Sabonis and Brogdon is probably the most likely, the most untouchable. Not saying that they can't be had, but it's going to be a little bit more expensive. And you brought up a great point about Jeremy Lamb, Like, coming off this injury, like, if he had stayed healthy all year and played pretty well in yeah. the playoffs, I think he'd be a really intriguing piece because of how cheap his contract is. But that, that injury is just completely brutal. And then other than that, I mean, Doug McDermott's on an expiring year. Maybe that's a little bit enticing. $7 million, not bad for a three-point shooter. But other than that, I mean, you don't have a whole lot to offer as as far as, you know, trying to pair any of these guys up with Oladipo and Turner to try to really, you know, garnish something of interest back.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I, I would want to get draft picks. Yeah. If if I'm the Pacers, I would not want to give draft picks. And and as far as, like, the, I and I think it's one of the reasons they made a change from Nate is that it, these young guys, I mean, my God, you, you've got to see what they can do. You've got to develop them a little bit. And I get what, like I said earlier, I get what Nate was doing. His job is to win tonight, not to, you know, have Goga be a, uh, you know, a third-team All-NBA guy in 2027. That's not that's not what Nate was thinking about because if you don't win tonight, you're going to get fired. Yeah. But they've got guys, they have, they have utilized a lot of assets, a lot of tra- uh, draft assets, to go get people who are really of no consequence on that roster whatsoever. And that can't be like, you can't have, you can't have the front office that the Pacers have go out and acquire guys via the draft and then have a coach say, you know what? I'm never going to play this guy because I can't win with him today. You, you, you've got to have some kind of, some kind of agreement in, in how that roster is going to be utilized. And, and I think that these guys, the guys who the Pacers are looking at, I think the majority of them uh, are that kind of guy. D'Antoni being the exception. I, he's going to be 70 years old. You know, mm-hmm. he really needs to win tonight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't know whether he's going to be alive when Gogas going to be a great player. <laughs> if Gogas going to be a great player, so the clock's ticking for D'Antoni loudly.
1: Yeah, and I feel bad saying that because I think about five or six episodes ago I said something like somebody's knocking on death's door. right <laughs> You know, I'm like, we're sitting over here giving death wishes. It's like, we got to stop this stuff. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's like, what, what exactly can be had? I mean, it's, it's got to probably, it, it might have to be picks. If you're really wanting a young player back, you know, someone that's right. like Karis Levert level. I mean, what I've seen some, from some people, it's like, they think Oladipo is worth Bradley Beal plus picks. I was like, what are you smoking? is, you know, <laughs> basically can give you 25 cents on the dollar and it's like i threw a right. fake trade out there today just to see what people thought of it and it had the pacers getting marcus smart and gordon hayward and they gave out basically uh there was a three-team deal between them dallas and boston where the pacers give up a first round pick miles turner doug mcdermott and victor of to get in smart and hayward and, and basically someone's like i would never do that that's giving up too much and the person replied, they said, well, you have to remember this. The Pacers, with their late drafting, you're not going to probably get a great player. Oladipo's leaving. So basically, you're trading Turner and McDermott for Hayward and Smart. And if you look at it that way, that's a really nice return. Then I'm kind of like, that's kind of what I'm thinking. It's like, if you can get too low, I mean, you're trading two starters. So you got to get two starters in return more than likely. And if you can do that, I think that's a win.
2: Well, you, you mean just straight up? You get Smart and Gordon for Victor and uh or or do you get a pick?
1: I didn't have any picks in that. there because I had Dallas. I had Dallas involved in this deal and basically Dallas was giving up uh Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney Smith and Seth Curry to the to the Celtics okay. with Miles and then I, I, I debated if the pick would be worth it to give up the pick or not. I don't know if Boston would want that or not. But I thought they might. So it's like, I mean, the biggest thing is like Gordon Hayward to me is someone that you could resign because I don't think that he's going to be just ring chasing anywhere and taking a major salary cut. But I think he could be a nice fit for this team. And Marcus Smart to me is that alpha dog that we've always needed. And I'm not saying he's like an Oladipo level type of player, but uh, at his peak. But I just think, you know, if you can get two quality starters in return for those two guys, I'm just thinking as a Pacers GM and you're wanting to compete. This makes a lot of sense. Now, if you're wanting Karis Levert, what are you going to give up? If you're wanting you know, one of these young studs like a Buddy healed, I mean, can can you know Miles Turner and and Doug McDermott be enough? Probably not. I don't know. So it's it's just really hard to figure out what is the perfect value. And I mean, you know, Drew Holiday is probably not going to be you know uh, obtainable. So trying to right. find a trade that makes a lot of sense, people just aren't going to really like the options. Similar to how they didn't like. The uh, Paul George of bonus, bonus trade.
2: Although, boy, that wound up being pretty nice. I know. Uh, I would have liked to have gotten a pick, right? Yeah. But, know, but, I mean, I, when you I saw always, that, you didn't I love like it, picks. right? But, pardon?
1: When you saw that trade on paper, though, you weren't like, oh, I love this trade.
2: No. No, because I wanted a pick.
1: Yeah. That's what you know, I wanted.
2: With picks, you've got a chance, right? You can sell hope with picks. Mm-hmm. With with Vic and and with Sabonis, it was a little bit different. You know, when when you look at a guy like Vic and and his, when you've got a bunch of stops, like we hired a guy this is back in a day, but we hired a guy. I wasn't a part of the brain trust that put this together, but uh, a guy named Bob Quessel at WIBC. Bob had never been at a radio station, and at the time he was fifty eight years old. Bob had worked. At, everywhere and, and never for at a place for more than 18 months, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, you know what you're getting and you know, there's a reason for that. Nobody valued the guy after those 18 months. And that's kind of where you're at with Vic, right? You know, you, he's been with the magic. He's been with the thunder. He's been with the pacers and, and he really hasn't stuck any at, at any of those spots. And, and that, you know, that shows something, I think right. uh, the the quality of the guy, and and so you look at who you're going to get, and if you look at Gordon, and and I love Gordon, and you know the, the, his Butler pedigree, and he's he just bought the house in Hamilton proper, and and all of that stuff, um, but can he stay healthy? I mean, he's a thirty million dollar guy. You, mm-hmm. you got to have him on the floor. You you can't have this guy convalesce for half the season, and and because then you're prorating it. At about what? I mean, you're you're getting about a million bucks a game. Yeah, you know, you're getting one <laughs> game every million bucks. You can't yeah. you can't do that. And and so, whatever the deal would be, uh, I'd want to get a pick because, like we said, that's where you're going to get potential greatness. Yeah, and and I don't think you're going to do that with the Dallas pick. They pick 18th, but you know, it, at least you got a chance.
1: Yeah, this this draft has a lot of really like interesting things. I don't I think the Kings have the twelfth pick. So yeah. maybe I mean I did a fake trade earlier this week with like the it was a Miles Turner trade. Victor wasn't even involved, but the Pacers basically just got Kevin Love and the the twelfth overall pick from the Kings and then uh, Miles went to Sacramento and then I don't even think Buddy Hill was involved in the deal. So it was just an it just a different thing thrown out there, and I know nobody likes anything that I'm throwing out there because they think everybody's worth more than what they really are. But right. you know, I mean, if you can get a, a top lot, I mean, a lottery pick plus Kevin Love for Miles Turner, and I think it was like McDermott or Lamb or something like that, one of those guys going out. I mean, I think that that's something you have to really consider, just because you know, I mean. Not saying Kevin Love's like a great player, but he's still pretty good. And, you know, he's been on a crappy team. Once LeBron left, I mean, there's nobody good on that Cavaliers team. And they've had so many bad coaches that have really flaked out there.
2: Right. And if you can get the five with Love, then that makes it okay for me. I've never been a fan of Kevin Love. My son played AU against Kevin Love several times. And Matt Howard ate his lunch. You know, (laughs) Kevin Love, there were games where he just didn't show up. Yeah, and and I don't like guys. No matter what the circumstances, if you're playing in the park, show up and compete. And Kevin Love didn't do that a lot, and so uh, I'm I I don't have a whole ton of respect for Kevin Love. I think he's that perfect best player on a bad team type guy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just who he is.
1: Yeah. All right, Kent. So we're running out of time here. I was going to do five players, but I'm going to cut it down to three. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a player's name, and you tell me one area they must improve this upcoming season. So, number one, Aaron Holiday.
2: Aaron Holiday has to become an elite level shooter, to me. Yeah, he he has got to be able to shoot the basketball. I think you can live with Aaron Holiday's defensive uh, play at the point spot, but I think he's got to become a good shooter. So teams have to sell out to defend him. That opens up the rest of the court. And, and makes him a, a substantial offensive weapon, not just scoring the basketball, but distributing it.
1: All right, next, Jeremy Lamb.
2: Yeah, he's got to get healthy. And mm-hmm. if he gets healthy, then I feel good about him. But uh, Jeremy's one of those guys, you know, it, maybe 40% of the time he's going to have the hot hand, and he's going to put you in a situation to win games that normally you might have lost, but the other games... He, he's not really any kind of factor, at least that in the, in the limited experience we had watching him play this past year, it seemed like that. Really mm-hmm. good dude, really smart guy, good guy in the locker room. I like him a lot, but he, if he can't regain health and get back to 100% of what Jeremy Lamb was, this isn't like Vic, where 80% of Vic is going to be okay. 80% of Jeremy Lamb is not going to be a roster-worthy guy.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. And, I mean, Jeremy, to me, of course, like you said, he has to get healthy. But if we're talking he's coming back healthy, I just think that I want to see him in that bench role and, and really thrive yeah. as that six man. I think that's the area I want to see him improve, and I agree with 100% with what you said about Aaron Holiday. That's why I didn't jump too much in there, because if he's an elite-level shooter, I mean, watch out. That's a starter-level player to me, um, yeah. especially if it's if it's elite. Now, if it's just inconsistent like it has been, then he's an occasional starter level player. But yeah, Aaron Holiday, interesting guy. I think with Malcolm's size, they can fit well next to each other. But I just, you know, I think Aaron Holiday is such an intriguing player and somebody I think that could, you know, be really good for this team. But I just don't know if he's going to get enough minutes where he's at behind some of these guys. And then lastly, the last person I want to talk about uh an area they must improve this upcoming season, your guy, Guga Batadze.
2: I think Goga's got to grow up. Like, I, I think Goga, because he's 19, 20, he defers a mm-hmm. lot. And, and I think he's got to stop deferring and, and, and start contributing. Right. You know, I, I think that that's kind of who he is. He, he isn't a kid anymore. Don't be a kid. Go play the game. Go be a man and go get rebounds and take your shot and be a not, boy, oh, boy, how do I fit in with these other four guys but hey, you know what? I belong here. He, he's got to make that leap intellectually and psychologically to become the contributor that he needs to be in in order for him to kind of show what his potential is and, and play to his potential. He's got great potential. He's got a great stroke. His ability to compete on the defensive end as a rim protector I think is, is at a really high level. I, I, I'm I really, and, and you know this because we talk about it every week, But I'm a huge fan of the upside of Goga Pataza.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, he can't be leaving his dishes in the sink for Julie to put him in the dishwasher. He's got to grow (laughs) up, put him in there himself. It's one thing to rinse him off, but no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, that's kind of (laughs) just how it is. Like he just has to finish the job. And I think that's one thing we have not seen from him throughout his career in, in this first season is finishing the job. He gets out there. He does something nice, but doesn't finish it all the way. You know, can set a can set a horrible screen, but then, you know, make a really nice pass or make a horrible screen and then get a nice shot or, you know, get beat on defense, but then, you know, help somebody out with a nice block. You know, he's not afraid to get nasty, and he has a little bit of a temper to him, which I like. Yeah, he gets yeah. a little he gets a little frustrated. I would love to see that kind of be unleashed a little bit more, just to kind of tick some guys off because he's still young, he's kind of unknown. Next year, if he's getting consistent minutes and he is going up against, you know, let's say they trade Turner, Sabonis gets a foul trouble. Hey, Goga, come in. You got to go out there while you're playing against the Rockets. Russell Westbrook comes down the paint and Goga gives him a hard foul. You know, Russell Westbrook's going to get in his face, and I think Goga's going to get right back at him. He's not even going to sit there and try to play it off cool, and I think that could be some things. So just kind of unlocking and unleashing Goga would be really interesting to me. But, yeah, I just he's just got to be more consistent. I think you you said it. Got to grow up because I think the talent's there. It's just he's got to get the opportunity, and he's got to continue to grow as a player.
2: Yeah, 100%. And and what I do like about both Holiday and Batanza is what you said and they've got a chip on their shoulder you know mm-hmm. both those guys have they can run a little bit hot and i think some of that you need especially if you're going to have sort of laconic guys on the floor like tj warren who who can only get you know his temperature rises when he plays against jimmy butler and that's about it
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know but if you're going to have those kind of laconic guys then you've got to have some countermeasure guys and i think patton and holiday can be that
1: absolutely well kent this was a lot of fun uh maybe next week we'll have some more news on some things and and talk about that but uh we're trying to give you guys the best pacers content we can while we're still sitting here in limbo trying to figure out what moves are going to be made next so hopefully you guys enjoyed this show kent you got anything coming out on your website or anything going on this week
2: oh well you know what i i did my seven finalists for the Pacers earlier this week. We'll talk more about the Pacers. We'll talk about the Colts. It's all Indiana sports all the time at KentSterling.com.
1: You know that, Alex. Absolutely. I know that, but I want to make sure the listeners know <laughs> that you're not just the Pacers guy that comes on here. You know, you cover the Colts. You cover college sports, and you, yeah. tell, and you tell it how you see it, and if people don't like it, you don't care. You just keep doing it, and I respect that, so... Guys, follow Kent Sterling on Twitter at Kent Sterling. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. Make sure you check us out at Setting the Pace Three for our podcast, and over on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And we will talk to y'all next week. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns—legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.